Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast, the show that empowers you to redefine the life you want and live your best life. Now, I'm your host, Francine Belly, and I show purpose-driven entrepreneurs, CEOs, and professionals a powerful pathway to become recognized thought leaders in their field, increase their visibility, trust, and profitability. So join me and my guests every Tuesday for inspirational stories and practical strategies to get more meaning in your work and in your life, make the money you deserve and lead a movement to change the world. I'm really, really excited to have in this episode, Bradley Keenan, who is the founder and CEO of Disseminate. Don't Google Disseminate because you're not going to find it. It's written DSM. And eight, <laughs> not the word disseminate. Yeah, I apologize <laughs> and, uh, for that. <laughs> this is an employee influencer platform or employee advocacy platform. We're going to actually talk about the difference of the words in a moment. So, hi, Bradley. Welcome to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Wonderful. So I've listened, I was, I was telling you to so many of your episodes, which I really, really found insightful and one of the best podcasts in employee advocacy uh, realm space. And for those who don't know you, um, tell us in your own words who you are and what you do. So do you want who I am or what Disseminate is? Yes, you, who you are, <laughs> so you as Bradley, what Disseminate is and what you do there. Great. So, so yeah, so my name is Bradley Keenan. So I'm the founder uh, and CEO of Disseminate. Um, and Disseminate are, as you said, we're an employee influencer, employee advocacy platform, however you want to call it. But essentially, we help companies get their employees to be more active on social media, uh, typically in the professional capacity, uh, as opposed to the personal capacity. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So tell me, what is one thing that most people don't know about you? It's just between you and me. Um, what's one thing people don't know about me? Um, I don't know. I kind of quite honest. I, I tell most people, I'm, I'm, I think I'm an oversharer. So I think there's lots of things people know about me. And uh, I did meet George Lucas once who created Star Wars. Mm. And I'm a big Star Wars fan. Not many people know that because yeah. I embarrassed myself in the process. So I tend not to tell people that story. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Okay. So, you know, at least some people know a little bit of you uh, in the background, you know, some of uh, the things that you've been up to. So, uh, so what's your background? And, um, you know, uh, I love always asking people, you know, how did you, you know, navigate your way to where you are today, actually? Yeah. So I, I'm a salesperson, um, although I'm a founder, um, I come from the blueprint of a salesperson. So when I grew up, um, I wanted to be a businessman. That's all I ever wanted to be. I wasn't one of these people that accidentally ended up in business. This is what I wanted to do. Um, and even when I was a kid, one of my Christmas presents once, once was a, uh, a very early version of a Palm Pilot. And this is before I ever had a business meeting or contacts. And for yes. some reason, I wanted my parents to buy me this digital diary thing. And I got it for Christmas, but I didn't have any meetings, clients or anything. <laughs> so I've always wanted to work in business. And in my early career, I was a salesperson, um, started uh, essentially wanting to get more of the business side of things, um, started an e-commerce technology company back in 2009, um, okay. sold that business in 2014. 
and disseminate is what I sometimes call my uh, difficult second album or my dif- my second child. You know, it's like you think you know what you're doing the first time, and then actually it's more difficult the second time. Um, and and yeah, so disseminate is my second uh, second business. Uh, we are a hundred percent founder owned, so we're very different to a lot of SaaS companies where we don't have any investors. We're privately owned, um, which we think is a is a big advantage for us. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. And why employee advocacy? How did you end up? I know that you have a tech background and you have, you know, this e-commerce uh, mm-hmm. side of it. But why employee advocacy? How, you know, what was your 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 feeling or your resonance with uh, employee advocacy? Why that? Yeah. So it's funny because when we started the platform, when we built the first version of the platform, I didn't know what employee advocacy was. Mm. So the reason uh, the reason we created this business was in my last company, when we uh, were acquired, there's this weird thing that happens where if you're the founder of a company that's acquired, the new company wants you to work for them for a period of time, right? And typically yeah. it's two years. Now, it's a really weird situation to be in because they want you around in case something goes wrong, but they actually don't want you around because they don't <laughs> want to depend on you. Yes. So I spent so I spent two years working inside a publicly listed company where I didn't really have a job, but they kind of said, just make yourself useful. And so I wasn't able to sell. So I thought, oh, I'll go and do some work in the marketing team. So started creating this the content assets, which really were there to help salespeople sell products. And once we built the content, I couldn't get the salespeople to share it. Mm. And I was like, why aren't you doing this? This is so simple for you. I've, I've, I've done it. I've done all the hard work. I just need you to put it on your LinkedIn because this yes. is going to help you. And this was basically in the time where my uh, contract with the company was coming to an end. And I saw this opportunity to essentially do what outreach did in email, um, but do a version of that in social. So we built an, uh, a minimal viable product in, in that kind of social uh realm and then i started showing it to people and people started saying oh that's like employee advocacy at which point i'm like oh crap i've invented something that already exists right so i'm kind of frantically (laughs) googling employee advocacy and then i see that this has already been invented like seven eight years before i had invented it so it was kind of at that point where we had to make a decision do we Uh do we go back to the drawing board create a new product and try and create a category or do we just try and be the absolute best in the category that Mm -hmm. already exists so Employee advocacy was never the journey. I don't actually mm. like the term employee advocacy, yeah. if I'm being honest. It's just yeah. a category name. Them, yeah. So we so we use it because that's what people are searching for. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I hope that answers your question. Yes, it does. And actually, um, I've been seeing that a lot myself as well. Um, you know, when um, people talk about employee advocacy, it, 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 this term, I don't know what is the best term to use because some I've seen, I don't know if you used to call uh, yourself employee advocacy because I see that now you are talking about um, employee influencer or influencer mm-hmm. employee. So there is a, a it is like even what I'm doing, like personal branding, you know, personal branding is another word that I don't like, but because people know so much, there is the category word, yes. right? So and therefore you have to find your way into a category or as you're saying, build your own category, which, you know, is another kind of uh, <laughs> uh, cake. Um, but yes, yeah, so at the moment, what do you think is 
you know, I've seen some fight, actually, I'll say on LinkedIn, people talking about, ah, there's influencer or his ambassador or his advocate. What would you say is the kind of difference from your perspective in terms of influencer, advocate or ambassador? How would you categorize or, you know, put some kind of hierarchy in these words, actually? So, so let me give you, I guess it's it. I don't want to say history lesson, but let me tell you how I see the industry and why the term employee advocacy exists. So employee advocacy, I can't work out which company originally started it, but there were a couple that were doing this way back in like 2007. And if we think about employee advocacy 1.0, I'll call it for this conversation. The idea of employee advocacy was you're a marketing team. You only have certain reach. Your employees have reach. So if you get your employees to post your marketing content, your marketing content gets more reach. Simple. The issue with that as a, a, and then the term employee advocacy means your employees advocating, not for themselves, advocating for the company. They are being used mm-hmm. with it's a horrible word to say but yeah. being used as a billboard for the organization mm-hmm. that's employee efficacy 1.0 and having a marketing and a kind of sales background i didn't see an issue with that if i'm being honest so i thought well why wouldn't you do that mm-hmm. but as socials developed what we're now seeing is there's a there's this employee advocacy 2.0 whatever you want to call it employee influence personal brand social enablement whatever the term is the the shift is actually in saying well, we want people to advocate for themselves. So we're going to enable them to be better at social. And if that means that we provide them with rich content that is approved by the company, um, helps them start to become more active on social media, then that's employee advocacy 2.0. But it has to be, the value has to be for the employee first. Then the value to the company is that their employees are seen as experts. And and that's a very different proposition to saying use your employees as walking billboards. Now, does every single disseminate client do 2.0? No, they don't. Still, there's a huge amount of people that still use 1.0. But what we're seeing is as, as people change jobs and how people are becoming more aware of the importance of personal branding, we have some bad fit accounts that, you know, the admin changes and like overnight, the program goes from zero to a hundred just because the person running it actually sees that proposition of employee advocacy 2.0. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love the fact that actually you even like, I haven't heard about this uh, employee advocacy 1.0 or 2.0, but I've seen definitely the, the shift. I think that some of the um, very early uh, adopters of these employee advocacy were Dell. Dell mm-hmm. was um, had a employee advocacy. And I think that it was also Dell and Adobe, actually. Dell made, um, they were one of the first who, give, who gave the voice of their employee to share anything else than their, you know, the marketing content that is being produced by the company, actually. Um, so yes, and definitely there is a journey of people moving from 1.0, which is actually even best to be at 1.0 than not to have any employee advocacy whatsoever. Because today, a lot of companies understand the value of influencers mm-hmm. and they are paying quite a lot of money to influencers who are outside their companies 
Then when it comes to empower their own employee, then they don't see that as a proposition. Do you understand why that can be the case? That people will be perfectly happy to go and you know, hire external influencers, mm -hmm. but not willing to you know, bet on their own employees to become you know, ambassadors for themselves. Yeah, um, yeah, we see it. Uh, and the analogy that I used the other day, I don't know if this is going to work, but so you you live in London, right? Yeah. Um, there's plenty of uh, market stalls selling amazing food, mm -hmm. right? You can go and find the most amazing food in places you'd never understand. Yet the Happy Meal is still being sold in the millions, right? Because it's easy. You pay the money and you get the thing that you expect to get. With employee advocacy, sometimes the the process is seems to be too much for the company, as where I can just go and hire that influencer and say, "Hey, I'll pay you ten thousand pounds if you post this thing on on Instagram." There's the transaction. I get the I get the thing I've bought, right? As where employee advocacy requires coordination between different departments. So there's a political component to that that can sometimes be a challenge. Um, and there's an exposure that doesn't come with influencers. If the influencer messes it up. There, well, that's their reputation. But if the employee messes it up, it's the company reputation. So, so you just see there's maybe just a different risk appetite. But it doesn't need to be that way. But I think for some people, it can be perceived as that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, tell me, which problem do you think that you solve for your problem with your employee advocacy programs, platform, and uh, all those things? What's ultimately the problem that is, you know, is it that they are solving? So I guess there's, there's obviously different problems we're solving. So the common one with employee advocacy is giving content to the employee and making it quicker and removing friction. That's the kind of core core component of any employee advocacy program. The the actual thing that employee advocacy does, which as a, as a platform or a program, even you know if you run a small program, you don't need technology to do that. Um, but what it actually does is it gives permission to the employee. So. The misconception with employee advocacy is that I want to go into my organization and convince every single employee that they should be posting tomorrow. Now, that isn't the goal. You can't convert atheists in the world of employee advocacy, right? But there's a huge group of people inside companies that want to be more active on social, but they're scared to do it because they were given a social media policy document five years ago that said, if you post on social, you get fired, right? And no one communicates that's changed. Um, and also the, one of the biggest fears people have, which is one I didn't realize until we surveyed uh, customers, was that people are worried if they go from not posting at all to all of a sudden dominating LinkedIn with great content, that the company are going to think that person's looking for a job. Because that's the, that's the um, if you're branding yourself, then surely you're branding yourself for a potential you know, career opportunity. Yeah. So having an employee advocacy program gives permission to everyone to say, hey, this is a thing. We want you to be included. So what employee advocacy does is it enables and empowers those people who want to have a personal brand. It's not there to convince, you know, somebody who's one year from retirement has never posted on LinkedIn to all of a sudden start posting five times a day. That's, that's a, a big misconception. <laughs> Yes, I love that. I love that the fact that actually people actually do have different motivations and uh, actually happened to me, actually, I was telling you earlier that um, I did uh, a training to um, an employee as an employee, personal branding plus employee advocacy uh, program. 
And one of them actually wanted, always wanted to post on LinkedIn, but obviously, exactly as you say, thought that if they started, you know, like that, suddenly to start posting, it would be kind of being suspected that, oh, perhaps you are looking to for some job or you are looking, but that person just wanted to become a thought leader, mm-hmm. you know, and start posting. And then this training actually gave him the permission because the company gave him the permission now to become this thought leader because now they're going to leverage on his personal brand to actually share the company content. This actually is a real fear, actually. Mm -hmm. I've seen that is a real fear. And then, yes, by getting companies to understand that if they empower the employees, it's kind of win-win. It's a win-win-win, actually, uh, equation, actually. So uh, what would you say that you've seen that are the prerequisite? you know, for successful employee advocacy. Obviously, somebody who is coming to a work where he's, he doesn't like what he, you know, he's doing, is mm-hmm. never going to be an advocate, right? So yeah. there surely has to have some prerequisite of some kind of culture or some kind of uh, way that, you know, need to happen before even thinking of <laughs> this employee advocacy program. I'm just laughing because I'm yeah. just thinking of an organization that, I proposed um, um, to come and train their people. They say, whoa, no, 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 because we are not ready yet, because their culture is not ready for this thing. So from your perspective, what would you say is the prerequisites? Yeah, it's really simple. Um, There's two prerequisites. The first is content. So, and content, not just any content. Do you have content that is share worthy, right? And the quick, uh, quick test for that is, you know, if you're the marketing director or whatever, would you share it, right? Because if the answer is no, then you've got a content problem, mm-hmm. right? So content is one, culture is two. You have content and culture, employee advocacy works great. And the interesting thing for me is in my in my previous business, we, all of our clients were uh, known brands, right? They were Samsungs and people like that you knew. Our clients in Disseminate, I know who they are now, but some of our clients have you know, 30, 40,000 people in their company. And I've never heard of them prior to them being a client because they work in oil and gas or they work in mining and minerals. And I'm not, I don't work in that industry. And then you look up the company and they're, they're huge. And you look at their content and I don't understand any of it because I don't work in that sector. But when they start running their program, it performs insanely well. And you think, well, that's quite crazy. I, I never heard of this company, but they're dominating employee advocacy. And then you can have a company that I've heard of, right? So, I, I mean, I won't name names, but companies I've heard of that everyone knows and their employee advocacy program doesn't work yeah. because their content's all about them, yeah. right? So it will be like a good example is we're really excited to announce the release of our X1258 product that has feature one, two, three, four, and five, and you can download the brochure here. That's the content. And then the culture in the company is, you know, glass door rating of two, two out of five. Um, everyone wants to leave. So you think even though you're a really well-known brand, you've got terrible content, terrible culture. So actually the probability of you succeeding in employee advocacy is, is quite low. Um, so it's really, you know, as if you, if I was speaking directly to a marketer, I would say, how happy are you right now? Because if you're happy in the company, 
and it's a generally a good vibe and the content you're producing is good then you've got a huge success uh, probability with employee advocacy mm-hmm. yes i love that um, yes culture and the content the two c's um, are really really good so however let's say that somebody you know they they understand that perhaps their culture is really um you know bad and they need to do mm-hmm. something about that and they are willing to put an effort to create the content that is going to be shareable. Yeah. Uh, is there some hope for so, such company who actually know that this they need to do some work, but they are still prepared to take the journey? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess what you have to think about in this in this situation is you have to shift gears a little bit and think about it in a different way. So I think about employee advocacy as social enablement right? It's, it's there to make social media easy. So if we, let's say we had a bad company culture, but I still wanted to leverage employee advocacy, I would be looking at, well, first of all, what's the profile of my ideal advocates, right? Who in the company do I want to be part of this? So let's assume that we want our salespeople to be active and they're, they're a key part of this. So all of my training material, my messaging has to be around this is going to help you close more deals, which means you get paid more bonus. And it's a very transactional experience as opposed to this being more about people being in love with the workforce and being there to advocate from a kind of company passion perspective. So it would be no different to if I bought in a CRM and I want my employees to use the CRM, it just has to be treated in a, in a different, different way. Yeah, yeah, I totally understand that, definitely. So this can still leverage the um, sales and marketing component element of it because employee advocacy can obviously attract also talent. You can, you know, have different uh, hats and also thought leadership of leaders. Uh, but we can still leverage that for sales and marketing purpose. And of, as you say, you know, it's a very good idea to um, tell them that they're going to have more bonus. So therefore yeah. they need to and, use that. And sometimes the <laughs> objective is, is yeah. things like, um, so let's say it's recruiting is the objective. Yeah. Um, and somebody wants to recruit engineers, oh. right? Engineers are notoriously difficult to get to be part of an employee advocacy program. Yeah. But it's actually not impossible. Okay. You just have to communicate the value of employee advocacy in a language that they uh, are willing to accept it in. So every engineer struggles with resources. We want more engineers because we want to produce code quicker. We don't want to work late, et cetera, et cetera. So if the engineer knows that what we're trying to use this for is so we can hire more engineers, so we can uh, lighten the load for you and your engineering team, and we want you to be part of it, then that's a message that an engineer is more likely to get involved in. If you say to an engineer, we're looking to share um, pictures of our canteen because we want to attract interns in our accounting department, they're probably going to (laughs) say, well, that's not going to help me. Um, So it's just about finding what the value is to that individual and talking to them in a language that, that that they understand and would resonate with them. Totally, totally. I get that. Would you also think of another part? You mentioned that, that the company to have need to have content that is shareable. But again, what about teaching people how to create their own content as well? So, you know, rather than just having the marketing and, um, you know, company content, uh, to be shareable, mm-hmm. but what about the other um, side of it that actually empowering people to create their own thought leadership content? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the trends we're seeing now. We still think it's probably a year or so away from being common. Um, but employee advocacy traditionally goes, uh, if, if we use like left to right. So yeah. marketing create content, employee shares content, amplification. Um, actually, what it should be is more of a, a circle. So employee creates content, marketing share the content via the employees to give greater reach to that employee. So yeah. the employee creates content for the company and vice versa. And it's more of a uh, a relationship between the yeah. two as opposed to a, to a one-way system. The yeah. the struggle with that, we, we launched part of our, uh, a new part of our product just before COVID. So we actually ended up shelving it, but it's coming back. And the idea of this was that you basically gave a camera to everyone in the company and said, here's a challenge, right? The challenge is take a picture of your best friend in the company and tell me why they're your best friend, right? So that became really difficult during COVID because we were all locked at home. So it was just pictures of dogs, right? It was pictures of dogs and, um, yeah, and sourdough and all the things we were doing during COVID. But the idea of this is saying, rather than company culture being, let's take a picture of the new recruit standing outside the office in a kind of forced, you know, we're happy to work here. Like who's been the biggest inspiration for you in the company and, and kind of collect that information. So you've got a huge pool of people being content creators for you and then share it via your corporate channels. So the corporate channels stop looking so stuffy and become more people centric. Yeah, that is a brilliant idea. I hope that is going to take up, you know, because that will be exactly because it's fun is and it's quick and you don't have to think like, Think about your own expertise and coming up with five bullet points and five tips to become the best, uh, whatever, guru in this domain. <laughs> so it's something very fun and very quick uh, to share. Okay, wonderful. Can you share any kind of example of best case study that you've done uh, of one of your clients that was really, really, really good? And then on the other side, something that you thought that was going to be good, but it just went sour. Any yes, thought? I guess a good, a really good example of employee advocacy working well. So we run the uh, global advocacy program for McKinsey. Oh. Um, and that's an example where it's run really, really well. And where you've got, I think, 10,000 plus McKinsey consultants using the platform and I never look at their content on LinkedIn and think employee advocacy. So there's this confirmation bias that comes when you see employee advocacy done badly. So what happens is you see it done badly and badly looks like you go on your LinkedIn and you think everyone's had their accounts hacked because it's like 10 people have posted the same thing one after another saying the exact same thing all, all within the minute of each other. And then you see it and you say, well, that's employee advocacy. Employee advocacy is bad. But yeah. when employee advocacy is done well, you don't notice it. It's it's done so well that you couldn't possibly see it unless you were really, really, really looking for it. So what they do well is they have lots of content for one, and they sit, they segment their content really well. So they have experts in different divisions that almost run their own micro employee advocacy programs in their in their key discipline. So you get a kind of hierarchy within their advocacy program where people are really specialized within McKinsey so they can get the content that's relevant to them. Where, where employee advocacy doesn't work is either in that situation where you've got terrible content, terrible culture. But if we just remove that, and let's say you have got good content, good culture, there's a third component to it. And that's the person 
driving the car, right? So we can create the car, we can give it to someone, but somebody's got to drive it. And there's this thing that happens, which we're, we're overcoming now, but for a couple of years really was a frustration for me in that people who ran advocacy programs never, never gave thanks and appreciation to the people who were in the programs. So I use this example all the, t- all the time. So you may have heard this on the, me say this on our podcast, but being English, I get annoyed if I open the door for someone and they don't say thank you. Like that can ruin my day, right? So the idea that we would ask somebody to do another part of their job, which they, they're not getting paid to do, to advocate for the company, to, to take on a new task and then never say thank you or share the success of the program with them and then question why they stopped doing it after three months. Mm-hmm. To me, it's like it's a big frustration. So now we're actually putting in systems in place that essentially create workflows for the admin to say, hey, it's mm-hmm. been four weeks since you said thank you to your advocates. You need to do that. Mm-hmm. And now you can do it all in the platform. Mm-hmm. Um but showing appreciation for people participating is is such an underrated um, tactic, which yes. most people just don't do. Yes, yes, that's so, so true, what you just say. Sometimes you just, yeah, take it for granted after a while that, yeah, this is what, you know, even if they have also a benefit of building their personal brand, you should definitely, you know, it's part of the reward and incentive to keep going because mm. they know that somebody is appreciating what they are doing and is not just going unnoticed. However, coming back to McKinsey, you know, you couldn't have possibly given, you know, a best company who has... The, some of the best content out there to share. If you're not McKinsey though, and haven't got this McKinsey type content, and again, consultants who are in McKinsey also like yeah. expert also, it's like a little bit. I'm, I'm even wondering why even they would need employee advocacy. I, I would think that they will be employee advocates advocate by nature already. Yeah. Well, I guess that for, for them, yeah. there's obviously a creating order in chaos is obviously an yeah. important part of having an advocacy program. But I, I tell you, what, let me use us as an example because we're a small company, right? So we're probably we if we weren't if we didn't own our own platform, we would probably be too small to be a disseminate customer, right? But employee advocacy at its core, we never pay for LinkedIn ads. So we have uh, twenty five thousand followers on on LinkedIn, all done for employee advocacy. We produce content, We've got a small marketing team of a few people. So this is probably more, you know, would be a problem for some people. But the, the key to it is producing enough content and putting the employee at the center of it. So one of the things you can do is produce what we call evergreen content. That doesn't even need to be a link, right? It doesn't need to be a link back to your website. It can just be uh, some statistics, things you've learned, key takeaways, short text only posts. And you can create hundreds of those just taking all of your marketing assets over the last few years and use those to to essentially give more content to your your employees to share. So you can be a McKinsey and have thousands of bits of content, but you could just be producing a few pieces of content a week and it still work fine. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Good. Thank you very much. That is really, really insightful. Definitely. What about the bad example or something that, you know, went sour and then just stopped? before it even started <laughs> <laughs> yeah we've got a couple of um a couple of early customers which uh i'll take the full blame for they the the bad fit guys were it was me who sold to them um 
and really it was we didn't know what we didn't know at that point in time so one of the misconceptions about employee advocacy um how can i say this yeah i can say this so gamification is a uh is a big red herring in employee advocacy so we having we have gamification in our platform as everyone does right but gamification actually rewards bad behavior so having a leaderboard in a platform is not gamification that's analytics and yes there's competition in it but gamification in its truest sense is you're going to do something and i'm going to give you a a reward um amazon voucher whatever cinema tickets whatever but what i'm actually doing is i'm paying you with amazon vouchers to do something Mm -hmm. and you then see the value as the amazon voucher you don't see the value in your career progression, your personal brand. You see it as an exchange. Mm-hmm. So one of our early customers went so heavy on gamification okay. that we actually massively mis- uh, misjudged how many people would cheat. So we built this gamification engine and we launched it. And then we were like, oh, crap, everyone's cheating. Right? And we can see they're cheating because of the IP addresses and all that kind of stuff. So we had to build this big engine to like combat click fraud and actually what we then thought about is what even once we had built it now it's pretty robust we're now like actually is is paying people in get in things the right thing to do because people were sharing six things a day they weren't checking what they were sharing all they wanted to do was get their shares and their clicks up so they could get more amazon vouchers so yes we have gamification on our platform but it's very rarely that we recommend that someone does it and if i took all of our accounts and i put them in order of how well they achieve i guarantee you the top 20 don't use gamification yeah actually yes i've been looking at that actually in terms of reward and most of the successful uh employee advocacy um uh, case study that i've seen they do not actually reward people, you know, those kind of monetary incentive and not, is much more about building a culture of sharing and um, much more like collaboration, Mm. something much more intrinsic rather than those external uh, small things. Yeah, and there's a knock-on effect that can happen, which I don't think people think about, but there's there's a branding component to the program right yeah. where it's branding is either this is a positive or a negative thing so if you and i worked in the same company and uh let's i'll, I'll be the bad guy in this situation and you're you, you're doing employee advocacy well so you start using the employee advocacy program you're taking content you're customizing it you're sharing it it's a huge value to you and then i come in and i share 10 things in a day right i've not customized anything i i don't care what i'm sharing you see me do that and you go he's making this look bad so then you stop using it so it's not just me that i impact it actually has a knock-on impact to the people that are doing a great job so you're better off having 500 or 50 or whatever the number is of really good advocates than 10,000 ones doing it badly because it, it just even though we would make more money because we would have more users long term that wouldn't be beneficial to us so we're always saying to people get the right people involved and have them do it well yeah 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 totally yes that's that's really like a a key thing so it's much more people who are self-motivated who really want to share that rather because otherwise as you say they're just going to play games and um you know make the whole thing um feel bad or see Mm. 
um, bad on other people. What about um, this idea of uh, social selling? We've talked about that earlier, where we say that, you know, if some content or some company can actually start perhaps with um, their sales marketing people, would you say that is the same as social selling? How would you define social selling versus employee advocacy done by perhaps salespeople? <laughs> so social selling is, to me, the term isn't valid anymore, I don't think. So it would be like me saying email selling. You know, that it's a channel that you mm -hmm. use uh, and it's part of a much wider thing. So if you're a salesperson that's not using social media, I would argue you've just switched off one of the major channels that help you do your job. If you're only on social, then I would also argue the same. It's it's now how we communicate with each other. The, 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 the case is closed for that now. And COVID was, I guess, was the, um, the final straw in that, right? Uh, before people went to the office, they met their co-workers they saw them in person they chatted in the break room now that happens less so even outside of sales personal branding is internal as much as it is external right like does my ceo know who i am because how would they without me being active on, on social so for a salesperson i think posting on social media is just part of your process because your buyers are there mm -hmm. um so why wouldn't you use that opportunity to put yourself on the map with them yeah, yeah. um so I, so I hope that makes sense it's, yeah. i just don't i don't see the term social selling as a yeah, thing anymore selling just selling. as a thing anymore exactly yeah, because some people say yeah you know so um uh employee advocacy is not social selling but you know this kind of debate is <laughs> so much out there but um tell me what will be your advice to leaders who want to start this journey of uh, employee advocacy, let's say that, oh, okay, after this episode, perhaps mm -hmm. somebody really thought, hmm, that's interesting. I'd like to start exploring this. How would you advise them to start this journey? So the first thing I would suggest doing is understanding uh, the current the current state, right? So um, so we do this for we do this for any company that asks us. So we can do what we call a social activation report. Um, you just go, go on our website, find a form, you submit it. We basically send a report back that shows companies how active their employees are um, on social media at the moment by geography and seniority. So that would give you a here's the current state. Um, and then it's about doing a proof of concept and modeling out what would it take for us to move the needle right so let's say we've got a hundred thousand followers on our linkedin account what would what would success be would it be doubling that number would it be 10x that number would it be uh you know whatever and then from from that what you can do is work out well actually if i can recruit a hundred people into my program i've doubled my reach on linkedin and think about it more from that perspective. And I think sometimes with employee advocacy, the task seems so big because yeah. launching any tool inside a company is a big ask. Yes. But the difference of employee advocacy, it isn't for every single employee. You don't need you don't need 100% of your workforce using it. You might only need 1%. But if that 1% is strategic to you, salespeople, senior executives, support staff, then that could be an absolute paradigm shift in, in your social reach. But you've got to kind of do that work and that investigation up front. 
And then when you've done that, then look for technology to support you in doing it. Don't just go and, I mean, my, my marketing team will shout at me for saying this, but don't just go and buy technology and then think that that's going to do the work for you because it isn't. It's just going to make the work easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 definitely. You look, first of all, to how I'm going to um, uh, solve this problem, who are going to be my best, you know, early adopters, and then you look at the tools, not the tool first, and then say, oh, we're going to use the tool first. Okay, wonderful. Now, let's uh, shift quickly. This podcast is all about meaning, meaningful work, meaningful life. So, and I have a few questions about, uh, I always talk about the three M, which is meaning, money, and movement. So on the meaning piece, where do you get your inspiration from? So what gives you meaning in your life and in your work? Um, So from a work capacity, I think in my first company, uh, I'd never run a business before. Right. So it was five years. It was a lot of work. I didn't know what I was doing. The end, the result was good. But when I got to the end of it, even though I'd had a successful exit and everyone was kind of congratulations or whatever, I didn't feel that I'd done a great job. Like the product wasn't that great. Uh, I didn't run a great company. The, The culture wasn't great. And I felt like I wanted to do it again with Disseminate, but this time I wanted to get it right. So my my idea was that create a great product uh, and hire great people. And then the money will come because you did those two things right. So the reason why we don't take investors and we actively turn down investors is, uh, mm-hmm. and we choose to be uh, self-funded is it means that we go at our pace, which means we never have to rush hire people. Uh, yeah. And the result is that the culture within Disseminate is an amazing place to work. Um, we don't have any politics. We don't have... Um, you know, all those nasty things that come up inside organizations. So the, I guess the meaning is creating a place that I want to work. So that's a place that other people want to work as well. And that has been inspired by your supposedly failed first venture that you saw some of the things that you didn't do well and now trying to do it uh, the the other way around. That's really, really inspiring. Yeah. And it's, it's oh, knowing I- when enough is, yeah. not not when enough is enough. Like I had a conversation with a, uh, uh, a private equity company uh, three months ago or so. And they, what they were trying to say is, look, if we gave disseminate money, you could grow quicker and bigger, right? And then if you sold at some point in the future, you'd get a lot more money. And I was trying to explain to them that right now, happiness and contentment and all those things is far more important than a, a potential amount of money in 10, 15 years time. And they could not wrap their head around that. Yes, yes. Actually, which leads it so perfectly to the second M, which is money. If I give you one billion pounds today, what would you do and how would you spend your day? A billion. Yeah, billion. Yeah. Let's go wild. One billion. I don't think I could spend a billion. I think I could probably spend... Honestly, if I was being completely honest, I think I could spend a hundred million. I don't think I okay. Could let's let's give you hundred million then. Okay, I'll take the nine hundred back. I can I can say yeah. I no, I'll I'll, I'll give the nine I'll else. give nine hundred million to charity. You can choose which charities to go to. Um, <laughs> okay, hundred million. I like, that's it. Yes, let's go with. One well, one. we were complaining about the weather when when we started the, yeah. the call. So my my dream scenario, far off in the future, is to be able to snowboard in the winter. Mm-hmm. sail in the summer and choose where I am between those two places so if I had a if I had a 
lovely sailing boat in the summer and a ski lodge in the winter then I could I could flick between those two until either I got injured and couldn't do it anymore or the end of my days came and that I would be happy doing that that's wonderful and disseminate is fully remote right you no we, we have an office we, we're one of the, an office. Okay. we did things in reverse so okay. we didn't have an office okay. until covid uh -huh. and then everyone went remote mm -hmm. and then my team said we'd really like an office um so now we have a sales and marketing office in central london um which is great and the team enjoy working there but pretty much everyone's hybrid in some okay. way and some people are completely remote okay cool so the third m is movement how do you want to be remembered for uh, how do I want to be remembered? Uh, a good dad and a good husband. They would be my two choices. Oh, that's so wonderful. So how then now can people reach you and learn more about you and what you do? Yeah, so LinkedIn, um, you know, I'm on there multiple times a day. Obviously, I practice what I preach. Um, so anybody connecting with me, connect and say, heard me on a podcast, because obviously I get lots of connection requests from people trying to sell me things. Um, and that's a great way to get in contact with me. And then also we are, or well, I am publishing a book in September. So okay. if anybody wants a free copy of the book, they can register on our website and we'll send it to them. What's so it's, the book about? It's actually, it's called 101. No, sorry, let me get this right. It's called Employee Advocacy 101 Cheat Codes. And the idea of the book, it's like one of these computer game cheat code books you would have got in the 90s with your PlayStation magazine. And it's 101 ways that you can improve your employee advocacy program. It's very... Uh, no BS. Yes. Each page has got huge amounts of value on it. Um, and that will be out in September. And you can get a free copy going to disseminate. So dsmn8.com forward slash employee hyphen advocacy hyphen book uh, register. And then we'll send out a free copy when it's uh, when it's ready. Okay, that is wonderful. I'm going to get one for myself too. So thank you so much, Bradley, for joining me today in the Meaningful Life podcast and really sharing all your valuable insights. I really, really appreciate that and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. Well, that is it for today. And before we go, don't forget to subscribe to the Meaningful Work, Meaningful Life podcast if you love what you've heard. The show notes of the episode are on my website, francinebelay.com slash podcast. Once you are there, you can also take the free personal branding for impact test. It's only two minutes and you will discover the score in seven key areas to improve your career or business success through personal branding. It's quick and it's free. I will see you next week for another episode of season nine. Until then, dream, act and make an impact. Lots of love.